onlypage.com VIP access to all things me. New content uploaded several times a week, including members-only live streams, golf instruction content, and behind-the-scenes footage. OnlyPage is the only way to connect with me off social media. Sign up today at OnlyPage.com. Again, that's OnlyPage.com. Do you want to improve your game faster and hit your driver longer? The good news is ShotScope can help you achieve your goals. ShotScope has products for every golfer, such as GPS watches, laser rangefinders, and shot tracking devices designed to lower scores and improve your golf by over four shots on average. I use the Pro LX Plus rangefinder on the course to get my distances. What I love most about ShotScope is tracking my game and reviewing my stats. The great news is your personalized stats are completely free with no yearly subscription. If I can use it, anyone can. Jump over to shotscope.com today and find the perfect product for you. And remember to use my code page at checkout. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Playing Around podcast. You're here with your two favorite golf girls, Sam and Paige. Sam, we have a lot of golf to discuss, so let's just get right into it. First off, we had the BMW Championship, and Victor Hovland wins, shooting a 61 his final round. Sam, what's your lowest score ever? Uh, 65, just playing for fun, 67 in competition, but you've got it much lower than me. Tell us about it. (laughs) Shot a 63 at the farms. There was no one around, so it's kind of one of those things. Like, if a tree's fall, do you hear if no one's around? So no one actually believes me, but I shot a 63. Again, no one was there to witness it. But in tournaments, I shot 64 a couple times. We've been talking about a ton of low scores recently. Bryson DeChambeau shooting the 61 and then the 58. And then we had Max Homa shooting a course record 62, which was then broken by Victor Hovland shooting that 61. I want to ask you this question. Do you think that the courses are too easy for the players? When I look at it on a scorecard or on, you know, a graphic on Instagram of how long the holes are going to be, I would say no, because I'm thinking about how many shots it would take me to hit that par five. And I'm like, maybe that should be a par six. But then these guys are hitting the green and two because they're hitting drives 400 yards. Looking at the recent low scores, I would say yes. Looking at uh, how the courses are set up to the eye on the TV, I would say yes. But thinking about how I would play it, I would say no. So I don't know. And I also don't know what the solution is to this. What do you think? I think it's interesting because you have to make the courses so incredibly difficult for these guys to have any type of challenge. And we're even seeing that now in the majors where you're not seeing scores around even par that are winning. Now you're having these guys go so incredibly low. And it brings you to the conversation of what do you do? Do you roll back the golf ball? Do you change the equipment? Do you make the golf courses farther? Do you bring the fairways in? Do you grow the rough up? Like, what do you do to really challenge these players? And during majors, I think that is a very good conversation to have. But for something like the FedEx Cup playoffs, which I think has been something that they're trying to find this formula to get people excited about it, because when you compare the FedEx Cup playoffs to other playoffs and other sports where that is so important, I mean, that's 
what you fight for. It's equivalent to the majors. Having players shoot really low scores to me makes it interesting because you're always on this 59 watch. And I don't mind if the playoffs are a little bit more gettable courses where they are shooting low because I think that has the ability to bring more people into the game if they're seeing these low scores. It's like in baseball during the steroids era where they were just hitting home run after home run. There's something really exciting about that. And I think people who are not as familiar with the game of golf, seeing these players go so low, which is something that is so unnatural, you want to watch people do superhuman things. And to watch these guys struggle and shoot a 74, 75, it's fun for us because we know how hard it is. But sometimes looking in, I think some new golfers could be like, well, I, I've shot that before. That's not very good. We can't shoot 61s. We can't shoot 58s. You know, that that's something really special. And I do think that that's okay for something like the playoffs to bring more people into the game of golf. I mean, it's all interesting points. And I think I think you're absolutely right. I would much rather hear loud cheers and a fist bump for a birdie than I would like seeing a guy's breathe a sigh of relief for making par. I think an interesting thing that happened yesterday when I was watching the tournament with my boyfriend is somebody, I don't know, I think it was Max Helma who had to carry a bunker like 320 or something. And they were talking about it on the broadcast and they were like, well, he's done it, you know, the previous days, but it's a little windy, a little bit more windy today. And my boyfriend looks at me and he goes, how do these guys hit it so far? And it was such a simple question. But to me, I was like, that's such a complicated answer. And I like kind of didn't know how to answer it. I was like, well, they this is their full time job, their swing speeds are a lot higher, they have a lot of personal trainers that are trying to, you know, get them to activate their bodies in the right exact millisecond of time. They have different equipment, they have different clubs, different golf balls, like they're, you know, it's just such a complicated answer. But such an innocent question. I was like, like, how would you answer that if someone asked you that? I would answer it the same way that you would. I, I think this goes back to the conversation that we always had. It's people don't realize how good these players are. And I think you start to understand that when you get to experience golf in person, and you get to hear the sound that comes off of their club face. And it's different. These guys are the best in the world the best in the world. And I think since there are so many people who play golf and love golf, it's different than most sports where, you know, if I watch Michael Phelps swim, or if I watch someone like, I don't swim, like I, I literally actually can't swim. And so for me, I'm like, that's incredible. They do that. But so many people play golf. And like I said, I just think it's like, they don't realize what the difference is, truly what the difference is from someone who is a scratch golfer to then what makes someone or a tour player. And this was a conversation on social media where someone said that most people wouldn't know the difference between a scratch golfer and a tour player. I have played with a ton of people, very few, except if you are really highly integrated into golf, know the difference between a scratch golfer and a tour player. So again, like seeing people on TV do things that just blow your mind, I think it's good for the game of golf. Speaking of things that blow my mind, we need to talk about Scotty Scheffler's driver swing. Most importantly, him dancing all over the golf ball at impact. I tweeted it this weekend and I didn't even get any hate for it. I was expecting people to be like, you idiot, he's the best in the world, who cares what he does? I'm like, yeah, I understand that. I've also, like you, seen a lot of golf swings in my life. And if I saw that with a naked eye, not knowing who Scotty Scheffler was, I would wonder how he's making contact with the golf ball. 
He literally has almost both feet off of the ground. He's slipping and sliding all over the place and it hits it straight almost every time. Not only does he just kind of hit it straight once in a while, he is one of the best ball strikers of all time. Scotty yeah. Scheffel will go down in history as one of the greatest ball strikers to ever play the game. And his swing looks like that. And I think that is a good lesson for everyone to swing your own swing because I think we get so caught up in being so technical and so perfect. And there are certain positions that you have to hit. If you look at what Scotty is doing on his downswing and at impact, it is textbook perfect. But then you look at his feet dancing around doing all this crazy stuff. And you're like, how is he hitting the ball so consistently every single time? with that swing as a former player playing against people who had funky swings it would really mess me up it would really mess me up because i would be looking at them and same like a slow player it's like how are they doing that and i'm over here you know like working on my swing trying to hit every single position and they're just like freely swinging away and i think that parents with young kids let them hit it as hard as they possibly can as hard as they possibly can don't work on mechanics right off the bat. Let them just swing and just see what comes naturally. And then from there, you can clean it up. But let them be athletic. And Scotty Shuffler is just doing what feels athletic to him. It's crazy when you look at, you know, sometimes they'll have those old rounds of golf on Golf Channel or they'll put old black and white swings on commercials. And I'm like, damn, that is the most balanced golf swing I've ever seen when you're looking at like golf swings from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s. Even Tiger in his prime, a very balanced golf swing. He wasn't jumping all over the place. And so it was just kind of like a jump scare, play on words a little bit. But like, I was like, what is going on? I literally paused the TV, rewind it and took a video. And I sent it to my old golf coach. And I was like, how is he making contact with the ball? And he just sent the like shrug emoji. <laughs> I was like, it's crazy. Golf swings have progressed so much, and you're right. And if you look at older golf swings, it was all about being balanced. And their right foot, I was taught by an instructor who worked under Mac O'Grady, which is one of the best teaching instructors of all time. And we were taught to like roll your foot in. So you squat, roll your foot in. There was never any lift. I used to lift up naturally. I would go up on my toes and everyone said, don't do that. Don't do that. And from a game that went from shot shaping and consistency that moved into all about power, you can see the difference in the swings. And now everyone is teaching these kids to hop up on their toes because that's how you get as much power as you possibly can. And so it is really interesting to see the progression. I wonder what would have happened if I kept my swing how it was, which was more athletic, which was popping up on my toes. And I was then switched into something that was very unnatural to me. And I just, I couldn't execute it. I don't know. The fact that it's very Lexi Thompson to me, watching Scotty Scheffler, like that impact position. JT, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's crazy, but I, I could keep going on that. Let's move on. So one thing that was interesting this week was, you know, gambling is getting more prevalent in, on the PGA Tour and in golf in general. There's commercials on the broadcast now, you know, for place $1,000 in bets, get it matched by whatever. It's obviously becoming more relevant on the course as well, which is such a cute little bro thing to do. So props to all of you guys doing this. So adorable. But don't yell in the backswing of a player who you need to win $3, that's the story here. Max Homa, somebody yelled in the back of his putt and said, pull it, 
and he had a five footer for par. And then it turns out it was just for him to win $3 off of his friend. Apparently Max went and yelled at him as Caddy went and yelled at him. And it's in, in his interview, he just said like, this is one of the drawbacks of bringing betting and making it more relevant into the game. That's so trash. That is so trash to yell in somebody's backswing for any reason, but for $3. I see it on both sides. So one, don't do that at a golf event because it's, <laughs> it's so quiet. So if you hear someone yell, it really throws you off. But if I'm looking at other sporting events, hockey games, basketball games, baseball games, football games, the list goes on. They are yelling the most insane things at the players at all times. But it's different. It's and different. they're not faced by it. But it's like, what if you made golf a little bit more active where everyone is just talking? Why do you need dead silence to execute a golf shot. It's not it's not brain surgery. It's not open heart surgery these guys are doing. They don't need that type of stillness. They're hitting a fucking golf shot. A driver. Like why can't people talk? That's one thing about golf that I never understood. I think something that's that I actually think about this a lot because when we were playing, you know, there would only when we were playing it would maybe be our parents out there watching, maybe a coach bat on the back of the green, but like there was no crowds like you would see in the PGA Tour, even the LPGA Tour nowadays. I always found it to be more distracting when there was one person moving or like behind the green or something or on the other side of where I was putting or chipping rather than if there was a crowd. You know, like when I played in the US Open, there was a crowd and it never bothered me because I was just like, oh, everyone's moving. Like I just can focus. But it, when there's one person, that's kind of what I'm seeing here too. When one person is yelling, it's way more noticeable than if you're on, you know, with waste management 16th hole where everyone's yelling, you don't even hear it anymore. That's the difference, I think. Or even when someone's doing a free throw in basketball and everyone's screaming or throwing up signs or doing everything they possibly can to distract that player and they're unfazed by it. They know that it's a part of their sport, but in golf, it's like, no, 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 <laughs> you can't do that. And I know it's a quote unquote gentleman's game, but it really opened my eyes when I was talking to Derek Jeter about this when I played with him and we were discussing why pros get so bothered by people yelling at them when they're playing. And I brought up the example that you did. Well, they're so close to them, which I think makes a bit of a difference. They're not, you know, in the nosebleed seats yelling something down. You can't really hear that. They're right next to them. And when I said that, and I'm like, and it's always so quiet, Derek Jeter goes, when I was playing at Fenway, I'd be standing next to some the seats and you would be shocked by the things people were yelling at me. And they would be doing that when I'm batting. At every single point, they're always yelling. And he almost laughed about it because it was like, you don't also understand what we have to deal with at, when we're going to you know, a rival stadium. And I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And it just shows that golfers can be, I think, a little bit soft. But it is because it's so quiet and it's so still that any type of movement or any type of sound will throw someone off. And I think it's the unexpectedness of what happened with Max. You know, like he wasn't expecting that. It's not really a, a precedented thing in golf. Um, so all that to be said, maybe if you're going to do it, make it like worth a hundred bucks, not three bucks. That's like kind of embarrassing. That's my <laughs> takeaway from it. Like that doesn't even get you a beer at the tournament. That doesn't even get you a sip of a beer at that tournament. True. 
Or they could just make it like live, you know, golf but louder and just have people doing whatever they want. Just pump up the chain smokers. Let's get it. Win money betting on golf this year. Betting on golf is fun, but picking winners isn't easy. BetSports Golf has the data, tools, and experts to turn your Sundays into paydays. Members get in-depth articles, research tools, and our team's picks each and every week. If you had bet $100 on every wager the BetSports Golf team had recommended last year, you'd be up nearly $10,000. For a limited time, you can head to BetSportsGolf.com to get a special price on a year-long subscription. Another thing that's interesting is we have the first six confirmed players based off of standings for the Ryder Cup team on the U.S. side. So we have Scotty Scheffler, Brian Harmon, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, and Xander Schauffele. So Captain Zach Johnson has a very difficult decision moving forward now for the next six players. If I were him, and I want to hear your six players you would pick, but if I were him, I would go down the list for the next three. So I am for sure picking Brooks Kepka. If he doesn't pick Brooks Kepka, he's an idiot because he has experience and he plays really well under tense circumstances. He likes that competition. Jordan Spieth, next one on the list, has experience, gels really well with the team. After that, I'm going to go with Cameron Young. He hits it so far off the tee, and you have to think about who's going to pair with other players well. Ryan Harmon is a bit of a difficult player that I see pairing with other players, but I kind of like this juxtaposition of Cameron Young bombing it off the tee and then Brian Harmon being really consistent and great with his wedges. And for an alternate shot team, I think that could be really interesting and deadly for them to be together. So there's something I really like about that combination. So I'm going to put Cameron Young in the mix. Here's where it gets really interesting. The next three players. I am going to get rid of Colin Morikawa. I'm not going to have him on the team. His putting is so dicey, especially under pressure, that I don't have full confidence in him to be able to execute when it matters. So I'm going to replace him with someone who is hot and is one of the best putters on tour, Ricky Fowler. So now I have two spots left. I saw an interview recently with Keegan Bradley, and he said that this is everything I've always wanted and more. And I want to give him a shot. I think that he would mix really well with a ton of different players, has a very diverse game, and he just wants it so badly. I'm sure a lot of people do, but this interview just really hit hard for me, and I think that he would do really well. My last player, really hot take here. They need experience, and they need a captain, and they need someone everyone really likes. I know what you're about to say. I don't think you do. I'm going Dustin Johnson. What? Dustin Johnson, amazing Ryder Cup record. Everyone loves him. He's not having a bad year, and he has so much experience. I just think that he could... He he is 40th on the list right now. 40th. They're so solid. It's not like they... He's below Phil. I also don't hate Phil. There would be something really exciting about a Phil-Rory matchup, and... We know Phil plays well when he has something to prove. And I think the reason they're not going to pick him because it's going to be too much of a distraction for the team. And there's going to be so much controversy around him being on there because of what came out recently about him betting on the team, the U.S. team, when he played in the Ryder Cup, which is not good. (laughs) Not a good look. 
there was a lot of back and forth between Rory and Phil about that, which we didn't actually discuss because we were off busy doing stuff. We didn't do a podcast for that week. But there was a lot of talk about that. And although I would love it for the drama, and I think it'd be a great matchup, I think it's going to be too much of a distraction for the team. And it would give the European side a lot of ammunition to want to come and want to beat them. So I would not take Phil. And for that reason, that's why I would pick DJ. It sounded like you were on Shark Tank there for a second. And for that reason, I'm out. I know. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't hate that. I think the Keegan Bradley, I think choosing Keegan Bradley because he said he really wants it is a little bit of a soft pick, if I'm being honest. When you look at, if we're just looking at purely the next people on the list, so seven down, we have Kepka, Spieth, Cameron Young, Morikawa, Keegan Bradley, Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, Denny McCarthy, JT, which is just above Lucas Glover, uh, Kurt Kitayama, Russell Henley, Will Zalatoris. I mean, that's it. Yeah, they're not picking any of them. Well, you picked somebody in 40th. So I said what okay. I said. So I think I would I would go Kepka for sure, even though he was just knocked out, um, you know, in the last points. Something interesting is he only had four chances to earn points, you Insane. know, for, for the Ryder Cup because of Liv. Knocked out by Xander last minute. Something that I saw when researching this this morning was there are already three rookies in the six automatic qualifiers. That's something to keep note of. And none of the six automatic qualifiers have participated on European soil in the Ryder Cup. That's going to be an interesting to watch. Like you said, I think experience is something that Zach Johnson needs to think about with these other six. Yep. I would go Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler. And I'm going to go back on what I said last week. And I would probably go with JT. And I think you'd be stupid not to go with Lucas Glover with how he's playing. You hate it. You hate it. I'm going to put a graphic up of both of our Ryder Cup teams and have people vote. Who would no, I, I was being more creative with my team. Yeah. I think your team is the team that they're actually going to pick. And I'm just, I'm looking through it right now. So we know Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth are going to make it. Those are automatic locks. So now we're just looking at four other players. Colin Morikawa is going to make it. It, it just is, it's as simple as that. Even though I don't like the pick, he's going to make it. So now we're looking at three others. When I'm looking at this list of like Cameron Young, Keegan Bradley, Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, Denny McCarthy, and uh, JT and Lucas Glover, because that's probably where the cutout's going to be. I'm not picking Sam Burns. I can't think of one memorable thing that he did this year. <laughs> and Denny McCarthy has not been able to pull the trigger and get a win. And that to me is something that if I'm looking at someone who can, there's so much pressure in the Ryder Cup, so much pressure. And then you're going on European soil and you're going to have to win. I don't think that's why we're talking about like, you need people who have experience, who can handle that and are also not bothered by situations like that. So then that takes Danny McCarthy out for me. You're putting Ricky Fowler in because if we're looking at the teams, he meshes so well with a lot of those guys because Patrick Cantley and Xander Schauffler are going to play together. So that's that's one team. A lot of people can't probably play with Patrick because he's so slow that I think Xander can handle that. I can see a Scotty Scheffler can play with everyone. Brian Harmon will be a little bit tricky because he's a short hitter. Max can play with everyone. I think it's pretty interchangeable, which is good. So if you're ninth on the list and you're Cameron Young, are you going to feel real slighted if you don't get picked? Yeah. 100%. 100%. But he's got to know that it's not a definitive right now. No, it's definitely not. And how do you not pick Lucas Glover? That's 
that's my I mean, he's playing some of the best golf of his career. And you're looking at who's hot right now. That's so important. But then you have someone who also is hot, which is Bryson DeChambeau, but that goes back to gelling with the team. And I don't think that's someone that like they would probably root for to be on the team. By far, you have the better list than I do. Mine's more creative, though. Well, we're looking for a win, not creativity. Okay, we want to hear who you think your six picks would be. Let us know on the Playing Around Podcast Instagram account. I will post a graphic with both of our teams. I will win. The European team is looking real good, not going to lie. Yeah, I didn't even want to talk about it because I'm scared. The interesting thing about that, though, is that because a lot of the guys play on the PGA Tour, that they don't have as many points as some of the other guys. So there are going to have to be a lot of captain's picks. So, for example, Victor Hovland is 15th on the list. He's clearly going to make it. Yeah. Tyrrell Hatton is 11th. Then it gets, yeah, then it gets a little interesting. Matt Fitzpatrick, who just finished second as his younger brother, also finished second the same week. He's 26 on the list. But how do you feel about that? Them both finishing second. Is that like a bonding moment for them? Or is it like, man, we just aren't good enough? (laughs) A little bit of both. I think it's kind of adorable. I think it's giving kind of like twins when they walk out and are wearing the same thing or like do the same thing, a little telepathic sibling moment. I wouldn't know because I don't have any real siblings. So that must be cute. I feel left out. (laughs) Yeah, a little, little left out. Before we do some questions, I'll just wrap up with other golf news. The U.S. Amateur was this weekend, and Nick Dunlap won. He started the tournament five over through seven. This is a page specialty. I never start well, ever. I'm a good finisher. I always would start like shit. If I didn't bogey the first hole, it was just going to be a a bad round of golf for me. What were you? Were you a a slow starter or a fast starter? I was a slow starter, but I had a lot of perspective shift in college about, I guess growing up, I never really thought about how many holes there were left, right? Like if you double the first hole and you're in a 54-hole tournament, like, okay, there's a lot of holes left to make that up. Um, So I think that that helped me, but I, I hated starting with a birdie. We've talked about that before, but... Yeah, anyway, Nick Dunlap started five over through seven, and then his caddy wrote on his yardage book, this can be an amazing story if you let go and let it happen. He turned it around and won, which is which is an amazing story, um, gets the exemptions into three majors next year, the Masters, the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, and the Open at Royal Troon. And he's now in a stat line right next to Tiger Woods. Nick Dunlap and Tiger Woods, the only players to win the U.S. Am and the U.S. Junior Am. So that's really freaking cool. Yeah, not bad company to be a part of. And it was also held at Cherry Hills Country Club, which is one of my favorite golf courses of all time. I won my first like big junior tournament there way back in the day when I was 13 years old. And so that course holds a very special place in my heart. Then on the LPGA side, we have Alexa Pano. She wins her first LPGA event on her 19th birthday in a playoff. They're just getting younger and younger, which is so scary. I remember interviewing Alexa back in Myrtle Beach when she was playing in Dustin Johnson's junior golf tournament. And she was just so little and talking about how she's just going to turn pro. And she has been a phenom for a very long time. So excited for her to get her first LPGA win. And in a playoff too, that playoff was really exciting to watch. They went back to 18 several times. Um, Gabriella Cowley kind of played her way out of it a couple times and Alexa kind of snuck back in just when you thought she was out of it as well. But 
it was it was fun to watch. Alexa grew up in Florida near me, and she was one of those girls who always felt like she was 12 years old. Like for 10 years, she was 12 years old. And every time you saw her, she looked the exact same and she was still 12 years old. And so now when she's still just 19, I'm like, am I like aging twice as fast as you? Like what's <laughs> happening here? Because I remember seeing her at tournaments with her dad and it was, it was cool to watch. I always love seeing girls that we played with, guys that we played with do well. It's, it's makes it special to watch. It really does. So as we wrap up, let's do some TNA for this week. The first question is best way to figure out your yardages for each club. So there are a couple ways that you can do this. I've done it before where you go to a very flat driving range, either really early in the morning because you don't want that many balls around and you hit 15 to 20 golf balls and then use your rangefinder to shoot where the landing pattern is. And you always wanna look for your carry distances. You don't wanna look out for rollout distances. And you do that because every course is different. And so depending on the greens with how firm and how fast they are, they're gonna roll out to different distances. So you always wanna find your carry yardage. So then you can do this with all of your clubs, pick the targets, and then you can shoot it. Or you can go to a place like an X-Golf that has a simulator and you can, again, consistently hit 15 to 20 and see what your carry distance is because they can calculate it for you. Just make sure that all of the settings are not juiced up, that they are set exactly where you need them to be. And so those are your real yardages. You can also do it on the golf course where if you have a flat hole, how far does it land? And you can just keep writing it down until you find a consistent pattern. And then that's how far you carry your yardages. There's not a really simple way, I would say, to truly do this. Um, you can also go to Club Champion and they can help you out with your distances. So if you want to do that, you can head over to Club Champion and after you get fit, they have a ton of different benefits like your loft and lies and they can fix your clubs for you and they can also help you with your distances. So if you want to do that, head over to Club Champion. You can use my code page. But Sam, how did you figure it out? Because I'm talking through this and I'm like, this is so difficult to actually calculate what your distance truly is because a lot of us can't afford to have our own personal uh, launch monitor that tells us exactly how far we hit it because those are, you know, thirty to $60,000. And that's, that's how the pros do it. And again, people don't have access to all that technology. So what do you do? When I was playing, I mean, yeah, I never owned a launch monitor and I, that concept to me was whack. Um, I would always do it with my six and my nine irons because I feel like all of your irons should, should quote unquote be about 10 ish yards apart. So I knew if I could take my highest iron and my lowest iron and see what they were doing that I could figure out the in between. It's one of those things where if you really just have no idea and you're just <laughs> starting the game, start with one club and kind of like do the math from there. Don't go out and feel like you have to hit every single iron and every single club. The loft of the club is different for each club for a reason. And they, most of the time the club manufacturers will do a pretty good job with that, especially if you're buying like a starter set, that's pretty much all you need. So yeah, but Paige's recommendations, if you are trying to get better and are actually trying to dial those distances in, um, getting some equipment behind it is definitely helpful for sure. Last question is advice for my 15 year old daughter taking up golf. I feel like we probably have a lot of thoughts on this. I would say the first thing is let her lead the way. Don't push her into it. I've seen so many highly talented golfers give up the game 
as soon as they have a little independence, like college or after, quit immediately because they just don't love it because they were forced into it for such a long time that they just can't enjoy the game any longer. Make it fun and also understand that there is no perfect timeline. I think that it's forced upon you that you have to be a great junior golfer to get a full ride scholarship into a D1 university. And there you have to be an all American. And if you're an all American, then you can turn pro have a great college or great pro career. That's just not the case. I've seen players who have done every step of the way and not be able to make it as a pro. I've seen players who were never really a threat when it came to junior golf in college, then turn out to be really great. Um, pro athletes. So again, it really is everyone's own journey. So don't put too much pressure on your kid. I think the thing is like, if they are pushing themselves, they already know what they want to do. And they're already have a lot of pressure on them to want to be successful. And I think having more of a supportive role and less of a um, coach role, or you don't need, you're a parent, you know, get help where they need it a good golf instructor, maybe a good sports psychologist, and maybe someone who can help mentor them and guide them. But try to stay out of it when you're the parent is my advice. That's That was the number one thing I was going to say was to kind of eliminate your role in it. Like see if there are any people around her age that play in the area, get her out with other people. Um, even if it's your friends, like I love playing with my dad and mom's friends growing up. But yeah, eliminating your role as like an authority figure on the golf course is important. Um, and then secondly, I would say we did a whole episode on this. And I think that if she's 15, you could definitely benefit, especially kind of it is coming up on that college recruiting, uh, you know, timeline if she is wanting to play. So I would go check that out. I want to say it was like maybe 10 episodes ago. It was called Been There, Done That. So definitely go check that out. I think that could be helpful. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to leave us a nice review, some five stars, share with your friends. You can contact us on the Playing Around Instagram account. We'll see who has the better team. We'll be putting that up on our Instagram account. So make sure to go and vote on that. But until next time, our friends, bye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Win money betting on golf this year. Betting on golf is fun, but picking winners isn't easy. BetSports Golf has the data, tools, and experts to turn your Sundays into paydays. Members get in-depth articles, research tools, and our team's picks each and every week. If you had bet $100 on every wager the BetSports Golf team had recommended last year, you'd be up nearly $10,000. For a limited time, you can head to BetSportsGolf.com to get a special price on a year-long subscription.